You're listening to Bell, Book, and Candle with Mela Borowski. Thoughts from a Southern Witch. Should have studied witchcraft. Should have learned to ride a broom. So me and my black cat could fly through the skies underneath the moon. y'all, I'm Mella Borowski, and you're listening to Bell, Book, and Candle. I'm so glad you're with us today. I am just as thrilled as I can be to have Barrett Self with me today. Barrett is a commissioned meditation teacher with an emphasis on guiding people back to their true nature. He holds certificates in cognitive behavioral therapy and mindfulness, and later this year will be publishing his first book, Directly Home, A Simple Guide Back to the Spiritual You. Why am I so happy to have Barrett on the podcast? Well, I remember a sweet young boy singing at my wedding with his family and this wonderful child that I knew when I was in my 20s. So many stories I could tell. Well, life does go on for everyone, not just me. (laughs) And now he's this incredibly gifted man who has agreed to share his wisdom with us today. Barrett, Thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me. That's uh, quite the introduction. (laughs) Thank you. This is awesome. I can't remember the last time that we spoke. I know I see Randy, your husband, around town every now and then, but Mm -hmm. I don't remember the last time we ran into each other. Yeah, I think it's been a long time. Maybe college, I might have come and done something and saw you when I was there, or high school. (laughs) I don't know. The last time I can remember, I think it was high school, but there might have been a moment in between there. I think we've both gone on interesting journeys since we were really in each other's lives. And I know we only have so much time, but I am fascinated and interested in your journey as well. Oh, yeah. I've had quite the journey, as I'm sure you can expect. (laughs) Yeah. Every time I see you post on social media or I see something that you've done, even just a photograph, there is a memory that is right on the forefront. And I think I've even messaged you before with this, that little voice that Barrett had so beautiful singing, the Wiggle Worm song. Oh yeah. (laughs) That is always there on the forefront. I mean, there's lots of others. I have a picture that I saw not too long ago where you and your brother were sitting on the church window and I took a picture of y'all sitting there back to back on that church window. Do you remember that? I know that that picture. Yeah, I know (laughs) that picture. I think my parents may have a copy of that picture somewhere. Yeah, I think they have a copy of it. I think it might be on my parents' fridge. I know exactly that photo (laughs) you're talking about. That's funny. I didn't know you took that. Yeah, yeah, I took that. So much has changed since the 90s when I was teaching at that church and going overseas as a missionary. And I remember doing that thing in the classroom where a little piece of paper for every, what was it, every Sunday that I'd be gone when I went to Cyprus. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I just hope that you know that I am really honored that you would agree to come talk with me on the podcast because not everyone that I know from my past appreciates what I'm doing with my life now. I hear you on that. Honestly, I feel very similar in the position I'm in. I got off of a Instagram live with a therapist earlier this morning, and we were talking about sensitivity. Mm. And the challenge that I've had in my life 
which is owning that sensitivity and authenticity of where I am, what I'm interested in, and what my journey is in a place that doesn't always have the same worldview. Mm. And frequently it doesn't. I mean, frequently I feel a little bit of an oddball around town and in my deepest, longest relationships that I've had. So mm. I totally resonate more than you know, probably, with that. We could probably talk for hours and hours about this, but I'd love to hear a little bit about your spiritual journey from the child that I knew to where you are now. You know, I always took spirituality very seriously when I was growing up. And I've said this on other podcasts, but to me, God was the answer to every interesting question. Mm -hmm. So I took it very seriously and I took my faith very seriously. And it was my worldview and deeply embedded into my sense of self and my identity. But as I got older, I kind of just couldn't help but feel that it was more of a cultural thing, I think, for a lot of people, that religious worldview. Yeah. And I remember striving so earnestly for a deeper relationship with God, mm -hmm. for a more connected relationship with myself, with God, and with others. And looking around in my life when I was younger, late teens, early 20s, and not really seeing many people that were taking it that seriously. Mm -hmm. And that didn't really bother me too much until I got into college and a lot of my friends who were living the conventional college life started coming out and essentially saying that they felt like God was talking to them, that they had had a real impactful conversion moment with the Lord. And that made me really angry at the time because I was the guy who took my quiet times very seriously, read the Bible, earnestly prayed, led worship in youth group and was always heavily involved in a leadership position in the church. Mm -hmm. And if I were honest with myself, I never really felt like I had a real relationship with God. It was more of just a belief system that I had aligned with. And so when a lot of my friends started coming out, proclaiming they were feeling like they had this really active relationship with God and God was talking and really involved in their lives, I was angry. Mm -hmm. And... As soon as that started happening, I would read the Bible or go to a church service. And like everything that was said, I just started to question. I started to feel like there was a contradiction there until it kind of came to the point where I couldn't even open the Bible without feeling like I was reading some form of contradiction. And I just couldn't resolve it all. At the same time, I was deeply unhappy, which I think is more of the core problem. But I was deeply unhappy with my life in a way that my faith never really helped with. Mm -hmm. And so those two things kind of came to a head, this deep sense of dissatisfaction with life and with myself and this growing sense of dissatisfaction with the church and with Christianity. And there came a point where I was on a walk in my early 20s and I just felt this real wave of sadness and just despair wash over me which wasn't really new for me. I felt like I had been living in that in a while. Mm -hmm. And I kind of stopped and had what would end up being a really impactful moment for me because it was the first moment that I said, I don't want to keep living life this way. Mm -hmm. I don't want to keep seeing the world this way. I don't want to keep experiencing myself this way, keep relating to the world, to others this way. And I didn't know what that meant. 
I didn't know where that would lead me, but that was the first real moment of taking responsibility for my thoughts, my beliefs, my feelings, my life. And that led me into meditation, into exploring different paths of spirituality, into more modern new age stuff as well and self-help. And that eventually took me full circle to now being the guy that is writing a book <laughs> and shows up online kind of hoping to help other people do the journey that I've been on and the beauty and the change that's come so far, but also, I mean, I certainly have much further to go. I don't think we ever truly get there. There's always something to learn and always something that we can add to our life or decide that we're taking out of our life. I think that's so true. I've started to look at it as if you stop growing, you're probably dead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and if you're not dead, you're completely out of alignment with life because life is always changing. Life is always growing. You have to be on board and growing with it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not sure how much of my own spiritual journey you know about. I have done different interviews and talks and things like that, but I struggled my entire life since I was a child with depression. And I dealt with a lot of childhood trauma that really came out the most when I was getting married and started to have children. Hmm. And after I had both of my children, I really went into this pit of despair. If you want to call it losing my religion, losing spirituality, I looked back on some things that I had tucked so deep in myself that I was living this inauthentic life that when it came out of the shadows, I just hated everything. I hated myself and I was in the mental hospital a couple times. I was suicidal and it really was a dark night of the soul in every sense of the word. I almost lost my marriage and everything and my parents were able to, there were a lot of different things that happened because it's not just one little path that changes everything. It's so many tiny little things. But one of the big things was my parents got me into dialectical behavior therapy and I learned to love myself. And when I learned to love every part of myself, even the things that people had put me down, I mean, I had been called demonic for some of the psychic gifts that I had and just all these things that I was carrying this trauma. I learned to love myself and it shifted my perspective. And I saw that you do cognitive behavior therapy. Is that related to the dialectical behavior therapy that I took? I'm not very familiar with dialectic therapy, so I can't necessarily say. As far as cognitive behavioral therapy, that model is just rooted in the approach that our actions and our active thoughts and our active emotions are all influenced by unconscious belief systems. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So making those unconscious belief systems conscious, then you get to more of the root of the problem as opposed to just correcting this thought or this active frame that you're looking at something from. And really making your unconscious beliefs, shining a light on them and then having the choice to make an adjustment there. So that's what cognitive behavioral therapy is all about. That sounds extremely similar to the DBT that I took. So it's probably extremely similar and maybe there's just a different way they go about it because the DBT is very much geared towards people with borderline personality and suicidal and that sort of thing. Okay. 
but it really did change my life and the whole looking shining that light into all this stuff that had made me who I was that I didn't like but actually I could figure out how to make that work for me and I could accept certain things I could get rid of certain things and just the whole loving everything about myself as far as kind of separate from looking at myself with this loathing that I had before did change everything it was the stepping stone to me even being more authentic with my spirituality and going back to a lot of my roots and things like that of finding the magic in the world. But I know that a lot of people get the whole self-love thing. I don't really want to say wrong, but they make it so complicated. Do you think people do that? I think that self-love has kind of turned into lip service in a lot of ways. Mm. Where, yeah, maybe it's become too complicated but I think the way that I would say what's happened to it is it's just become so ambiguous and non-practical that we no longer really know what it means kind of like the word love in general you know it's just one of those mm -hmm. words that sounds nice but in application I don't think many of us know what it actually looks like to practice I agree with that how did exhale come into being Mm. Obviously, I grew up in a spiritual environment where really I think that spirituality was correlated to belief. You acquire this belief and then you follow these commandments and then you have this relationship with God. But what I learned as I took a very deep dive into meditation and into more Eastern approaches, but also just into myself and becoming more self-aware was that real spirituality starts to happen when you let go mm -hmm. and when you unlearn all of the patterns and the conditioning and the things that have been forced onto you and the things that the world says that you need to become or you need to have. Spirituality and happiness, the journey of happiness and peace isn't a process of acquiring a belief or getting this new thing or even improving ourselves. It's the process of letting go of all that we're not mm. and stepping back into our deeper self and our deeper authenticity. And the name itself, uh, Exhale, is a moniker for that journey, for the fact that the spiritual journey and the journey back into a stable sense of peace and happiness is the journey of letting go, of exhaling. That's amazing. I have used meditation and mindfulness for a long time now. In fact, it was during that dialectical behavior therapy that I was taught about mindfulness and I was told, go home, drink a cup of tea, mindfully drink your tea. That's how you practice it. The smell, the feel of the cup, the tea, everything you do, don't have computer, don't have your phone, nothing, just drink the cup of tea. And that was really the start of a lot of meditation and even getting into doing journeys and path working and just a lot of different things where I'm going into this trance state. In fact, I'm a hypnotherapist now, so I do hypnosis with people. <laughs> I saw that on your website. I have a uh, light history in hypnotherapy, but mm. not enough to list it as a skill set. Okay. Wow. Yeah, I do a lot of different things with hypnosis. And one of the things that people love to come to me for is past life regression, which is just amazing. But I do see a lot of people who don't see 
what meditation or mindfulness will get them. If someone says, oh my gosh, this is all hogwash. It won't help me in my everyday grind. What would you say to somebody? That's the vast majority of people, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) It is, it is. I think that at the end of the day, you have to come to one core understanding about life. And that's that no matter what you become or what you have, what relationship you enter, how much money you have, or what role you get, at the end of the day, none of it's going to offer you a lasting sense of fulfillment. Mm. Nothing in the world can offer you a lasting sense of fulfillment. And only living on the surface plane of life, which society definitely encourages us to do, to constantly consume, Mm -hmm. constantly get the new thing, And whether we're aware of that narrative or not, man, that narrative is strong out there. Yeah, it is. In the fabric of our homes and of society. I would say on one hand, if you feel that you are actually deeply satisfied with life, don't come to me. Mm. Don't start a meditation practice. But I would also say that sooner or later, if you don't have a deeper foundation than this constant needing for more to fulfill you, If you don't have a deeper foundation than that, you don't have a meditation practice or some form of spirituality in your life, life is eventually going to find a way to bring that out. Mm. Maybe life is super busy for you and you don't feel like you have time to start a meditation practice. That's fine. If the motivation isn't there, I always say don't force it because it's not going to take you anywhere if your heart isn't in it. Yeah. But at the end of the day, the world's not a satisfying place to be. And life's going to bring that out. So the more clearly you see that, the more you naturally open yourself up to meditation and to some form of spirituality, which doesn't have to be my form, doesn't have to be your form. Maybe it is Christianity. Maybe it is another more traditional religion. But in some way, your heart gets opened up to something deeper in life. I'd like to tell people when they talk to me about meditation, they say, well, I can't can't quiet my mind. But there's not just one type of meditation. You can walk and take that whole mindfulness into it and just appreciate wherever you're walking outside. And our monkey mind, those monkeys are always going crazy. You can just, you can give them something to do and just sit. And it's not about emptying your mind. Do you agree with that? Oh, totally. From a relative level, it is about emptying your mind, but from the deepest level, it has nothing to do with that at all. (laughs) I always tell people, if they do have an interest in meditation, begin a meditation practice where you already feel the most meditative, Mm. which isn't necessarily an empty mind, but it is a sense of involved presence. Maybe you're a jogger and you feel this sense of alignment and presence when you're out on a jog. Just become a little bit more aware while you're jogging. Just become a little bit more aware of yourself deeper than the thoughts that are coming and going. If you really enjoy cooking or you really enjoy eating, just become a little bit more aware. There are different areas of all of our lives where we naturally enter into a deeper state of meditation, whether we call it that or not. And if you are very active and you have no history of meditation and you can't sit still at all, you're going to have to have a really powerful why to start that practice where you're just seated 
on your couch in the morning for 20 minutes or however long and just breathing. If you've never done that before, that's going to start out like a torture session. (laughs) If somebody's interested in meditation, I always encourage them to find where it feels like they're most involved with the moment naturally and just become a little bit more aware in those moments. And if you become a little bit more aware in those moments and your heart's really in that, then it starts to expand a little bit here, a little bit there. And then if you really surrender to the process, you can find a deeper sense of presence that you see is available in all of your life. I always talk to people about micro habits because sometimes people bite off more than they can chew. And if you are meditating in whatever way or form for five minutes a day, that's perfectly fine. It doesn't have to start out at 15, 30, an hour. Just do what you are able. And I think even combining that with what you said too, it makes it a little less scary, I guess. Mm. Five minutes of finding a place where you're already in that state of mind and just do it. Just do it for a few minutes and see what happens. Totally. It can also be really powerful to pick a time in your day or maybe like after you go to the bathroom or maybe after you eat a meal. Each time, simply become aware and for five to ten seconds, just radically drop all intentions. Just five to ten seconds. See how empty you can be in five to ten seconds. And if you really start that, just in these really small pockets, just accessing a radical sense of letting go, a radical sense of what will end up being just no mind and surrender, you see that that is really a deep state of peace. Mm. That is a very deep state of peace that you often don't find if you're searching for it for 20 minutes every morning. But if you just say five to 10 seconds, let me just see how much I can let go of. It's a beautiful practice and a beautiful reset and way to refresh yourself throughout the day. Do you have any tips on how people can not get so stressed and anxious during the holidays? As you were saying that, I was thinking of a Ram Das quote where I think he says, if you think you're enlightened, just spend a weekend with your family. <laughs> exactly. If there's ever a season of our lives where we really can use a deeper sense of meditation or presence or peace. It's definitely when we're thrust back into old relationships where there's all this past energy and way of viewing each other. It's really tough to relate from presence to one another as we really are. But you know, it's easy to get theoretical and try to make it this really deep and impactful thing. But at the end of the day, Mela, I think a lot of it just comes back to if you're in touch with your breath or not. Because the more that I become aware in my own life, I see that whenever there's a real fear response in my body or I feel triggered or my nervous system is really activated, if I check in with my breath, my breath has become very shallow. Mm. And so my practice a lot of the time is whenever I'm feeling really activated or really triggered by something, I just return to a deeper, more relaxed sense of breathing for maybe three to five breaths. And then I see how deeply I can allow whatever's there to be there right now without trying to change it, without trying to correct it, without trying to, okay, I'm feeling angry. I'm not trying to force my way into peace. Really through breathing, I'm just trying to become more available to what I'm feeling and to give myself permission to feel what's there. 
And I think in many ways that breathing practice is so powerful for the body and then it's super powerful for the mind to then step into that space of not trying to correct. Yeah. Which essentially looks like if I'm feeling a trigger, I don't allow that trigger to find my mouth or to find my hands or to run me and express itself through me instantly. And that's how we get a little bit of space through breathing and just through allowing what's there to be there. We start to get a little bit of space between us and our anxiety, us and our anger, us and our triggers. And then if we follow that path all the way down, we actually are able to step into a deeper sense of presence where for the first time, us as our deeper self, our deeper aware presence or who we are starts to live for us as opposed to the old reaction and the old trauma and the old trigger, which frankly usually has the wheel of our lives and is dictating what we say and how we act in the moment. Great advice. So you've got a book and it actually should be released by the time this comes out directly home, a simple guide back to the spiritual you. And on your website, it says it's for the frustrated spiritual seeker. What do you mean by that? (laughs) Yeah, so there are a lot of people out there, and I've been one of them, who have read all the books and have tried many different meditation techniques, Mm. many different ways of looking at the world that have all the right theoretical conceptual answers but it's not necessarily embodied in their life. Mm -hmm. It's still mind knowledge. It's not body knowledge. Yeah. And it's so easy to become just like in my past, I was identified with depression. I was identified with my story of depression, my story of being a victim. It's easy to move out of that and then become identified with the story of being a spiritual seeker and of being someone who meditates And that story has to be released as well if we're really going to go into a state of meditation or have an active form of spirituality. We have to go beyond an identity, a limited identity. Mm -hmm. And this book is about the methods and the approaches that helped me do that most. And it's about essentially kind of like my message with Exhale is overall. It's about returning to that deeper sense of presence I often use the analogy that we come into the world like an empty glass Mm. and being an empty glass, just empty of opinions, empty of judgments, empty of projections. That's the happiest season of our lives. Mm -hmm. And then slowly as we enter the world, more and more people start to fill up our glass with judgments, with opinions, with beliefs, who we're supposed to be for society, what a strong masculine man looks like for me or what a strong religious believer looks like. Mm -hmm. And all these different stories that then end up filling us up. And we try, and most of us spend the rest of our lives trying to look for happiness by filling ourselves up with something new. Mm -hmm. But real happiness is returning back to that empty glass, back to that person we were our true authenticity when we entered the world. And that's the form of spirituality to me. I use spirituality and I am or the deeper essence of us as synonyms because the essence of life is spiritual. The essence of me that hasn't changed since when I was four years old looking in the mirror and now I'm six foot two looking in the mirror. (laughs) Everything physically has changed. I have different stories running through my head, but there's a deeper part of me that is timeless and that hasn't changed. Mm. And that's the spiritual journey to me is how much can you make that timeless essence of yourself 
come alive in your life? Can you have your finger on the pulse of that? And that's what the book is all about. Wow. I am looking forward to reading the book. That's amazing. Well, thank you. You also have a course I saw on your website called Breaking Addiction to Suffering. Yes, I do. Is it free? It is brand spanking free. Yes, ma'am. Wow. So I think that we have chatted before about the whole idea about suffering and pain, just when I might have commented on something you posted. It's part of a lot of what I teach with making friends with your pain and the idea I personally believe that we can choose to suffer or we can choose not to suffer. It doesn't have to accompany pain that you have. I have a class called Dying Well and- Ooh, I love that. Yeah, I've taught it in various places, Colorado, various places around here for several years now. And there are always people that come to this class because in the class I do talk about pain and suffering because that's one of the biggest fears people have about dying is that they're going to suffer. And there's always folks that don't understand how you can live a life without suffering. And in fact, a lot of people that I know personally and clients that I have, I've even came to the point where they say, well, you know what? Maybe I like the idea of suffering. Maybe I'm addicted Mm. to suffering because it gives me certain perks. What's your view on suffering and maybe even addiction to suffering? What a question. Mm. I think on one hand, our minds want to be right more than they want to be happy. Mm. We have a lot invested in our own psychological drama and worldview. And it's really, any worldview is somewhat fragile because it's all just thoughts and thoughts are always changing. So even if I'm a very strong Christian, like back in the day, I'm still just as capable of giving rise to doubtful thoughts Mm -hmm. and uncertain thoughts. That's the nature of the mind. It goes back and forth between all different poles and it wants to make everything black and white. Any worldview or belief that we have is pretty fragile because it's all just based off of our thinking and our thinking wants to be right more than it wants to be happy. We can see that play out even if we're in the grocery store and there's a long line and we've had a tough day and we feel a trigger arise in us and we feel this anger arise in us. And I think more and more now, people are self-aware to know that there is some level of choice in it. Mm -hmm. There is some level of choice that we have in whether we're going to allow this anger to really overpower us in this moment or not. But if we really watch ourselves, even if we see that choice, we see more often than not, we choose to feel angry then we choose to feel peaceful. And if we look at our lives and the more and more self-aware we become, we see that really moment to moment, what are we choosing? Are we choosing to be unhappy? Because it gives us a sense of self-righteousness. It gives us a sense of significance. It gives us a sense that we're right and that someone else is wrong. Even if it makes us unhappy, that's a big one. Yeah. The choice is there, like you're saying, to suffer or not. But more often than not, the mind wants to choose whatever frame helps it continue down what's comfortable in the way that it's looked at the world, Mm -hmm. then it wants to change and be actually happy. The mind actually doesn't want to be happy in many ways, as twisted as that sounds. 
Yeah, gosh, that reminds me, and I've mentioned this book in several podcasts because it always seems to come up and I remember something from the book, but there's a book called Existential Kink by Carolyn Elliott, and it is just really about this idea of pulling all these things and actually being honest and saying, hey, I like feeling this way. I like feeling like I'm a victim. I like, let's just revel in it for a little while and to help that as a way to pull it up and get rid of the shame. Cause I think shame creates a lot of problems for people. Totally. So you remove that shame and say, yeah, hell yeah. I like being a victim. It makes me feel like I have power and it being kind of that kink that you're into. And then you are able to more easily let it go. Yeah, that's a super powerful reframing of it. And it's so true because anything that we think or feel we're creating at the end of the day, Mm -hmm. there's no real suffering in a long line in the grocery store. Mm -hmm. And one person can stand there and be totally content and happy. And another person stands there and wants to throw vegetables at the cashier. (laughs) Right. The moment and life itself in many ways is neutral. It's empty of meaning and it's waiting for us to attribute meaning to it. Mm. And so the thoughts and the feelings that we create are based on our belief systems And we have to start admitting that on some level, even if I'm creating suffering for myself or anger or depression, on some level, I like it. Yeah. Because if I didn't like it, why would I keep doing it? Exactly. And the shame from the world saying, but you're not supposed to like it. And so therefore we say, oh, but I don't like it. I'm forced into it. It's easy to get caught up in the self-help space Mm -hmm. where I think there's a lot of great things happening in the self-help space. So I'm not crapping on the whole space or anything, but it's so easy to get caught in this loop where we're constantly trying to fix and improve ourselves. And really that's just a subtle form of self-rejection because we're not accepting and we're not being loving and available to where we are right now when we're constantly trying to become something else. I think you can get addicted to the self-help stuff too. Oh, 100%. I have people come to my classes and I just, I can see, I can tell. Yeah. They're just addicted to, okay, what kind of trick are you going to give me that's going to fix everything? Oh, you mean there's work? Okay, on to the next thing. And even my mother, and she'll even say it, she was addicted to self-help books and she had read every single book trying to get over certain things, but it ended up being just very personal work that she needed to do and no amount of self-help books was gonna get her to that point until she was ready to do the work. Totally, and healing, spirituality, real self-transformation, they're all deeply personal journeys. Mm -hmm. And another person can kind of give us a map of what got them there. Yeah. That's how I view a lot of religion in general. They're just different maps for how individuals were able to really wake up to their deeper nature. But the journey itself is so personal. And often if we spend too much of our time reading the words of somebody else, we're not able to hear ourselves. Yeah. We're not able to hear the lesson that's really shouting at us when we walk out the front door and in our relationships because we're too busy listening to someone else. Where can listeners keep up with what you're doing? How can they find your course or any of the other resources you offer? You can find all of my information, find my course, subscribe to my mailing list at my website, which is exhalenow.co. 
that's essentially a portal to all of my social media outlets as well. So anybody that wants to get in touch can find me there. So Barrett, any final thoughts for us? This was beautiful. And I can't believe we did this in under 40 minutes right now. (laughs) We got through a lot of stuff, didn't we? Yeah. And we went deep. I don't feel like we skimmed the surface. We went there in under 40 minutes. This is beautiful. Barrett, it's not very often that I get to see children that I knew when I was, I mean, I was a child pretty much back then too. (laughs) So it's not often I get to see children that I knew all grown up. So this has really been a blessing to me. I'm so proud of you. Thank you so much. This has been wonderful. I'm definitely going to walk away from this feeling much more connected and loving than I was beforehand. Thank you for reaching out. Thank you for being here. And as always, I would love to hear what our listeners think about this episode's topic. So if you go to the podcast website, you can comment on this very episode with your thoughts, with your questions. You can even click that little microphone and send me a voice message, and I might just use it on a future episode. Take care, and y'all be blessed. Thank you all for listening to Bell Book and Candle. You can follow Mella on Instagram and Facebook at Bell Book Candle SC. That's Bell, B-E-L-L-E. Or become a patron at patreon.com forward slash Bell Book Candle. Thank you.